Yeah. So I just got back from uh from our, our yearly or annual uh boys weekend. Yeah. At the hill. Hill as we call it. it it's it's not it, it's 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 basically in a swamp. Uh in the PD, which is so um, that's like that's like your version of Greenland, Iceland. Oh yeah, it, it, there's a slight hill because the river, this little area, does flood quite often. It's on a big river in South Carolina, um, and the house is kind of, or the the hunting lodge as it is, is kind of like up on a little bit of a hill. Uh, it, it's surrounded by the river, a lake, and like three shooting ranges for various activities. And then fire pits, and that's it. And there's no connection or anything down there for for uh, cell or internets. So it's it's fun to go, and we go every year, and we grow our beards out, and you know we, we do the you know the manly thing. Um, but it's you know it, it's good to to go down and, and see all my my college friends, and yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, the whole time I'm thinking like, what is masculinity? What what does it mean to you know? be in a in a hunting cabin with you know eight other guys where you're you're kind of we're, we're watching indiana jones and star wars all day and and eating you know wings and meat and stuff that we cook here on this really nice right. this hunting launch <laughs> yeah, it's all this like performative masculinity it, it is it is to a degree, but, right i mean it's not like you don't you don't do it because you enjoy it but then when you step back and think about it you're like well, i enjoy this but you know why is it because like society has told me like this is what's manly and I'm supposed to be manly and yeah yeah I mean I I, I definitely think it's some of that I, I did win the handgun shooting competition nice. I want to point that out um, but the I don't know I, I guess I, I was kind of I was judging that against okay so I was, I was listening to a podcast today uh, from some of our internet friends uh, Lauren Larkin and Sarah Terrace. Uh, the the new Azer Encaged uh, episode that they dropped today, as it were, and it, it's a really great episode. And they talk about um, female to female relationships in light of some of the stuff that uh, Desiring God was publishing over the last couple of weeks. I guess. Okay. I don't follow Desiring God or John Piper because I'm not a Calvinist. Like. Yeah. There was, but, I mean, there was a big like hubbub a few weeks ago about something about women, but I haven't really followed any followed any of it closely. Yeah, and they were referencing a great post by Kate Hatch, who's an awesome yeah. person of, uh, in general, but especially on Twitter. And she evidently took apart um, these posts. I haven't gone back and, and read them yet. I'll I'll have them I'll have them in the show notes. But it, it's a fun. It was a fun podcast to listen to, kind of in retrospect of of you know, our annual guys weekend, but you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's funny how, you know, how we get into our, our gender roles, but also, you know, how, how we, you know, think too much about them sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think stuff like that is good because, um, I think our society in general doesn't teach men to value friendships with men right so like it kind of the i guess the closest we come to it is the like annual guys trip and like we value that but then beyond that we don't really kind of teach that hey it's 
you know, good and healthy and acceptable to have, you know, deep friendships with, you know, other men. And, and that's, you know, fine. It, you know, I, I think a lot of men are scared because of this kind of, you know, um, narrative about what gets to equal masculinity. A lot of men are scared that if they're too close with another guy, then people are going to think they're gay. And, and obviously, you know, got the homophobia wrapped up in that. And that would be the worst thing in the world for some people. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it's good. I think these kind of annual trips like that are good. And I also think the stuff that we do kind of on a, you know, day in day out basis is good. You know, we, it's expected that women will have, you know, a group of, um, other women who are friends of theirs and that they'll do things regularly and they'll, you know, go out for dinner as a group and they'll, you know, go do things that they want to do, you know, go th- do things they enjoy, see movies or go out to eat or you know, go have a drink or <laughs> whatever that's women enjoy, <laughs> whatever women enjoy, um, you know, those, those things. No, but you know what I'm saying? Like that's kind of expected and accepted. And, um, you know, it's not often that like a group of guy, you know, group of guys, oh, that's my phone is, um, you know, like, hey, let's get together, you know, regularly and do this thing. Um, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. So I, I think what you're saying is important that it's good to think about like, OK, how, you know, how am I kind of performing masculinity or, or whatever it is? And, you know, what's led me to this point and, you know, kind of assessing our own perspectives on gender. I think that's always a good thing to do. Um, but then also, like you said, maybe not overthinking, just say like, hey, this is fun. And I like these guys and or I like these people that I'm hanging out with. And, and that's cool. Like we can do this and, and we can be close and have deep relationships. And that's healthy. Yeah. And, and Sarah and Lauren do a great job of talking about this in response to those uh, pieces by Desiring God, which I do not at all. Uh, encourage you to ever look up or give them any page likes or views or anything like that. Please just leave them alone. Just let them have whatever they have. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, like uh, you know, my my partner Mariana goes out, you know, every I, I think once a month or so with, with her you know, quote girlfriends, and uh, they they have a girls' night out type thing. And uh, you know, I, I went with my friends this week to go see Black Panther, you know, my, my two white guy friends. <laughs> yep. uh, and, uh, you know, we, it's, it's, it's interesting how we, we do that because, you know, Lauren and, and, and uh, Sarah were talking about how uh, there's that fine line that Desiring God is trying to push about how if you're in a relationship and you give each other nicknames, and you lay on the same bed together and you're doing this, then it's an idolatrous relationship because you and your friend are becoming too close and maybe even sexual. And you're not focusing that friendship on helping you get closer to God, which is, I think, you know, complete BS. Yeah. Because, and, and they make the point in the, in the show, uh, you know, God works horizontally, which I, I like, you know, it's kind of like a lot. Never mind. Um, <laughs> That's terrible. But so, so as I'm listening to the show, I'm thinking about the first time you and I really kind of hung out all those years ago. All those years ago. What was that? That was the, uh, that was the Savannah, Charleston, Savannah, Charleston, DC trip that we did. Yeah. <clears throat> and then I, you know, I'll roll up and I'm unprepared and, and kind of casual as usual. And, you have gone and gotten your license to drive the van with our professor Goodman. And, 
you're kind of this this new uh, hot thing who, who's going to who's going to take on the, uh, the the helm of being the alpha male in the group. That was me, the new hot thing. And then I thought, oh shit, I got to step up my game because Goodman's you know he's falling for this guy. Like that's not it's going to be a weird love triangle. So Goodman was like, no, no, this is Thomas who I keep telling you about. Like you guys should hang out. And I was like, Rah. so uh, yeah, we we. And, and Trevor was on that trip with us as well, friend of the show. Yeah, and I and I roomed with uh, Trevor because I think Goodman was like, "I want you to hang out, but maybe not." <laughs> I'm not going to put you in a room together. Because I'm a what might happen? And all these years later, yeah, even then he knew. Um, yeah, oh man, Trevor, God, that was such a good trip with him. I've got yeah, good. Yeah, well, I have I, not asked for permission to tell any stories about him from that trip, so I'm not going to. But <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to tell a story about you. So I roll up and I've got my little, you know, sleeping bag or whatever. And uh, you know, Goodman's like, "Hey, this is uh, this is Thomas, Thomas Sam." And I was like, "What the fuck's on your head? Because you had this like driving cap thing." Look, I was going to be driving. Of course, I was wearing a driving cap, <laughs> like a newspaper boy. And I was like, "What, what are you wearing?" And and you had your uh, your your tight pants and and your uh, gray shirt on. Yeah, not much has changed there. And and you know, I was like, "Who, who is this guy? Like, what what's he about?" And and Keely was friends with you, and I was like, "What yep. is Keely seeing him?" <laughs> That's cool. Keely's my friend. Goodman's my professor. I'm I'm Goodman's person. And uh, so we we had this awesome trip, and we got to to talk and hang out. But you know, in in most situations that. You know, if you think about, I don't know, like like what Desire and God's talking about, like that that would have never happened, because, you know, we we spent a lot of time together talking about theology and everything else, and by the end we created a secret fraternity, <laughs> and uh, we, we were going to cover. Or did we? Or did we? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I did. I don't know. Friendships, both for male, female, and and people who identify as other or non. You know, like it, it's it's a very strange thing and uh so so screw desiring god for for trying to uh push some kind of a narrative about how you should or should not be friends with with people from the same identified gender yeah i also think that or we we have um i think kind of a skewed perspective of intimacy in this country right where um it is all tied up in kind of sexuality and excuse me and you can't be you can't have any kind of emotional intimacy with anybody other than your opposite sex spouse. And, and so because of that, I think then we, we end up putting a lot of the burden for that on our spouse. If, if we happen to be married, right. To, to kind of um, play the, like the role of all the different types of, you know, maybe kind of emotional and intellectual, whatever intimacy that we would, that we would need uh, or, or desire. And, and I, and I don't know that that's necessarily healthy either. Right. So obviously in some countries it's perfectly acceptable for two, you know, guys, your friends to hold hands walking down the street. And it doesn't mean anything about, you know, um, their sexuality, but of course that's completely, you know, unheard of or, you know, unacceptable here. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess I just think like, there's a lot that you can get uh, that you do get out of good, healthy, deep, um, friendships and, and the idea that, you know, you can't be friends with anybody unless like you're doing a Bible study together and that's all you can do is 
I don't know. Like when I was 15, I probably thought that way, but come on, like you got to grow up at some point. Oh, and you, and you look at, you know, the, the history of humanity and sexuality and, and David and Jonathan and yeah, guys hanging with guys, girls hanging with girls, you know, uh, people who don't identify hanging with people who don't identify like uh, there's, there's never been a, a, a sort of a model for modern, I guess, post enlightenment Western, especially, you know, white males to, to kind of point to, because I mean, Jesus was hanging out with his disciples flopping around robes, you know, and, and yeah, <laughs> hanging out with a bunch of dudes. That That's part of the reason that I like Jesus Christ superstar so much. Cause it has this, it, it has, it, I think presents Jesus relationship with the, with the disciples in a way that you don't see, uh, in, in a lot of other contexts and in kind of a much more intimate way. And by the way, they're, they're doing a live action one with John legend as Jesus. So I'm super excited about that. Huh? Yeah. And I mean, you know, we look to the, to the Roman world, to the you know, ancient Near Eastern world. I know don't at me, but there are so many examples, especially in, in the Greek world of, uh, you know, guys hanging out with guys and I'm not advocating. I'm not whatever. I'm, I'm just saying like, and I know there's all sorts of other issues wrapped up in that about sexuality and age and all that and consent. But, um, you know, we, for people who like to say, well, this is how uh, we define a biblical definition of marriage or a biblical definition of relationship. That's so austere and, and, and so inauthentic about, you know, what actually the, the biblical narrative is, is trying to present to us, David and Jonathan. So basically, this is just the defense of our friendship. <laughs> Bros, man. Um, listener Matthew, Matthew Klippenstein, Klippenstein, Klippenstein. I'm great with names. Uh, wrote in and he is, he, he had some great questions and I just want to put one before you before we hop into some other stuff. But he was asking about um, some of our thoughts on like like a uh, documentary hypothesis, if you will, like JEDP um, within other schools of thoughts or within other religions. So saying like, w- wouldn't it be interesting if Buddhism or uh, the innumerable Hindu schools, uh, as he says here, or even Judaism uh, had something like a, uh, an analysis based on JEDP? type uh scholarship with with the documentary anyway i just want to throw that out there i i I grew up i cut my teeth on the documentary i see the flaws in it now because we we got four e's and then you have it's like exponent j1 and j2 and yeah so you have e1 e2 e3 four and then you have e1 a e1 b e1 c and then e2 a e2 gamma and it keeps on going so I, I see the flaws in the system, uh, but I, I thought that was a fun, fun question from a, from a long-time listener. So just wanted to throw that out there and get your thoughts. Okay. Well, um, we could spend an hour on this, but we're not going to. For those listeners who might not understand, basically the the JDEP theory, the documentary hypothesis is of um, the the Hebrew Bible, the mostly the Pentateuch, right? And um, it, it's a theory about which uh, groups or schools of thought 
produced which sections of it. And that you have the the J is for the Yahwist, um, the D is for the Deuteronomist, the E is for the Elohist, and the P is the priestly source. <clears throat> and the idea that there are these kind of schools of thought behind different sections, and you can tell based on language and all all kinds of different things. Um, in in large strokes, the general theory of the documentary hypothesis, I think, is spot on. Right, that this these texts are, um, you know, they're collaborative efforts in the sense, right? That they're not stable texts. It's not like, you know, yes, of course, a lot of people claim that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. Moses did not write the Pentateuch. Let's just get that clear. But it's not as if Moses sat down one day and wrote out Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then that was it. And that's what you're reading today because that's that's just not how it happened. Right, these texts change and 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 they're very unstable and you know, have scribal additions and you have other groups that say, well, let's add this whole story in there or we didn't really like how the story was told over there. So we're going to tell it another way over here, but we're going to leave them both in. Right. See, you've got all that. Um, so th- I got to try to not talk for an hour about this. Um, the first thing I would say to that question is, is I would say that Judaism does have uh, you know, JDEP because it's the Pentateuch. Um, so, and it's not like, you know, most Jews aren't aware of that. And it's not like you don't have kind of a, you know, a rich tradition, understanding differences in the text and the rabbinic text as well. Um, I think it would be interesting. And, and I think that, uh, in this respect, um, biblical, uh, criticism is ahead of the curve um, when it comes to a lot of other re- uh, groups of religious texts, and that and um, you know, kind of biblical studies tends to come in behind uh, English and literature because they're kind of on the cutting edge of literary studies, and and, and you you kind of get it right. And when you read Shakespeare, you have you know people reading and talking about Shakespeare for five hundred years. And for the most part, the canon doesn't change. You got to find new ways to talk about it. And it's the same thing was true with the Bible. You got to find new ways to talk about it. And, you know, for a lot of these people, you know, it's, yes, of course, they're trying to make sense out of, you know, a lot of the kind of early biblical um, scholarship was from people that were doing kind of explicitly confessional things. But also it's, we got to keep, you know, convincing people to, pay us to do this thing we want to do to read this group of texts we want to read. So we got to find new ways to read it, uh, you know, kind of increasing relevance. And then also there are new ways to read and we, we learn more things about ourselves and about our, you know, our situatedness or system Laban, not just of the text, but of the readers, um, kind of our situation in life and how that affects how we read. And so that changes how you read the text. So in a lot of ways, biblical studies is really far ahead of, um, say like Quranic studies, for instance. Um, there are um, moves within kind of uh, scholarship on Islam and on the Quran that are moving more toward kind of taking their cues some from, you know, what biblical scholarship was doing 200 years ago with Von, you know, maybe Von Rad wasn't 200 years ago, but you know what I'm saying? You know, with the Von Rads, the Valhausen's like a really long time ago. Um, and they're starting to pick up on some of that. And I, I think that's helpful. I, I think it's necessary. I, I think it's um, it should be done. Uh, but scholarship on Islam, particularly on the Quran, has been um, obviously got started later. 
but it's also been uh, overall more conservative because for a long time, the only people who were studying the Quran were Muslims. And it was often religious, you know, religiously conservative Muslims, <coughs> excuse me, which is the same thing that happened with, you know, kind of the majority of people who were studying the Bible early on. They were Christians and they were often religiously conservative Christians. And so that affected how they read the text and and what they, you know, what they allowed themselves to do or allowed others to do, what lines they would or would not cross. Uh, and, and, and we've seen that. I mean, we see that across the board. Uh, with you know insiders, so to speak, studying their own text, and I think we've seen a lot of that um, in Islam for a long time. And I, but I do think that's beginning to change. So yes, I think it'd be great to see that uh, in other um, you know religions uh, as it relates to their texts, which some have, and and some don't really have texts in the same way that we have the Bible or the or you know Muslims have the Quran. Um, but yeah, I mean, but there is also good work being done on um, the Ramayana, for instance, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita, there's good scholarship being done on that. um, That's looking at, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of looking at it from a source critical perspective. So it's not a, you know, it's not a plug and play. The documentary hypothesis is not a plug and play to other um, religious texts, but I think we are moving more that way in a lot of areas. Um, and, and I think that I think that's good, and and all that is kind of with the caveat of the documentary hypothesis. Uh, I think has serious problems, even if it's underlying theory about different parts of the text coming from different people or different groups is correct. So, do you think that reading from something like the documentary a documentary hypothesis? Saying like, oh, well, this is the J text. This is the E text. The D text. The the P text, um, which you know is done more frequently now. Kind of in, in I don't want to say lay situations, but you know you, you hear that in a lot of Sunday schools or or a lot of um, you know scholars sort of breaking down the Pentateuch or or the Torah for uh, people who aren't trained in, in biblical studies. Do you think that that's still a valid reading to do, or, or should we focus on things like Brevard Child's, you know, canonical reading, or something like a a more narrative reading, or or, or different type of hermeneutic? I mean, I guess it, it just depends, right? For me, I would have to see what's actually being said, and you know, what's the nuance around it. Uh, in general, I think it's good to give people more information. Um. I, my hesitance is when we start doing things like, well, the first half of this verse is from the J source and the second half of the verse is from the P source. And, you know, like we can make these arguments in scholarly papers, but I don't know that that has much uh, relevance to people's lives. Right. So that's what you're talking about. It's like doing it into the church. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also think in a lot of cases we get too, uh, with things like this, we get too caught up and, and we, I don't know the right way, but basically we think we know more than we do, right? And this happens a lot uh, in a lot of scholarship on the Gospel of Thomas, for instance, where, you know, people will break down, it's a collection of 114 sayings of Jesus with no narrative. Um, and people will break down, you know, different sayings and say, well, you know, this saying is from you know, this time period and this particular community's life and, and we can date it within, you know, two years and all. And like, no, generally you can't. 
right? So, so I think what happens is, is when we, what happens a lot of times on the scholarship side of it is we dig deeper and, and the deeper we dig, the deeper we think we can dig and the more we think we know, but the bigger our blinders get, I think often. So that's my, you know, that's my big caution with a lot of this stuff um, is that uh, we begin to think we, we know too much, right? So it was JDEP. We had four sources. Okay. Well, now we have how many? 18 or something like that for the Pentateuch. And, you know, cause we have four E's and two J's and right, all this stuff. And I mean, what, that's, that's an interesting scholarly question. What good does that do anybody who's, you know, sitting in the pew? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, the, <clears throat> so, so I would say in large strokes, I think it's good to talk about different sources. I think that's very important. You know, I just did a few weeks uh, on Matthew at my church and we you know, talked very clearly about uh, the relationship between Mark and Matthew and, you know, how Matthew is using Mark here and what he's leaving in and what he's taking out and why that might be. And very clearly about what we can know historically, what we can't know historically, um, because I think those are important things in that situation. Um, it's much less important for them to, you know, for me to talk with uh, people on a Wednesday night at a, at a church study about um, the the minutia of the relationship between Mark and Q and Matthew. Like we can talk about it in big strokes, but when we start getting down into the, you know, really difficult stuff about Mark and Q and Matthew, like that, that doesn't help anybody. Well, I, I don't know if it doesn't, if it doesn't help anybody, but it, it, it's for a very limited audience. You know, it's, right. it's, it's, it's sort of like archeology. span Like I love archeology. span I, I, I read way too many archeology span journals and kind of the general takeaway is, unless you really know a lot about exponents or you really care a lot about strata, like it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but <laughs> I really know a lot about exponents. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you do and you appreciate it, that's, that's your gun, you know, that's your, that's your AR 15. That that's the thing that you devote yourself to. And you say, no, no, it's not causing anybody any harm. Let me have it. Don't take it away from me. Um, I'm not going to kill anybody with this. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's a tool. It's a screwdriver. You know, I'm just digging into the past with this thing. I'm, I'm not arguing for that. Please don't don't at me. I'm just saying, I'm using that as an, an analogy, although poor. But um, okay, and that's a good point. So when you talked about Matthew versus Mark, did did you get into things like um? What was what was Bart Ehrman and Crossan thing? The uh, the 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 Bible. What was the thing? The uh, the the group who was trying to figure out the, the authentic sayings of Jesus and they had marbles. The Jesus Seminar. Jesus Seminar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I didn't oh talk about Jesus Seminar. You know the Bible thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I didn't talk about Jesus Seminar at all. Because, I mean, that might be an interesting conversation just because Jesus Seminar is a really interesting kind of group and interesting thing to talk about. But but no, but I um, I did talk about Christer Stendhal's theory of the synagogue across the street. Of course. Because I think you that love helps that. make sense. Yeah. Well, I love that theory, <laughs> yes. But I also think it, I think it, you know, it can help make sense of certain things. And see, I push back against that because I think that's so normative to say that there was a synagogue across the street like that. You know, I think it, I think yeah, it's committing but, the same sin as the Jesus seminar commits. 
not not in like the bad sense in the sense of missing the mark right 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 so i'm okay well i i obviously think there's there's are of a different kind completely um obviously because i'm a fan of one and i'm not a fan of the other but my point is like this is a this is a uh, a model right the the kind of Christopher Stendhal's theory of the synagogue across the street is a model for reading the Gospel of Matthew. So that's fine. Then we can take another model, and and we can read it through that lens, and, and that that's fine, right? So so these are models that we can apply or we or we don't apply, and that's okay. And they may help us make sense of certain aspects of the text that we're looking at. In this case, both Matthew and Mark. Um, so I think that's fine. I don't think that they are that it's necessary. Like this is the only way that you can interpret Matthew. But I, I so my point is like you were talking about a tool. I would say that something like the synagogue across the street theory is a tool that may help some people in how they understand the text as a whole. The difference between that and the documentary hypothesis is JDEP in broad strokes can help you know, uh, is, is a tool that can help um, kind of open up how somebody understands the text of the Pentateuch as a whole. But when we start getting down to, you know, well, this is clearly J and this is clearly P and we're going to split it, you know, in the middle of this word here, um, that's when we've ceased to be helpful. That's also when mm. I think we're out of our depth. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to speak for the people that, um, you know, focus on that because, I mean, they, they, but there is good scholarship behind, you know, splitting verses uh, for for those people who get into that. Oh, absolutely, and and I'll be the first to to claim some of those things, particularly in the New Testament, right? Particularly when we get to Revelation, I I, I you know read certain uh, certain things throughout the text and and even in the Gospels, right? And say I think there's really good reason to believe that, you know. Um, like these two words were added to this verse. And I can tell you why I think these two words in particular were added, right? So yeah, certainly there's good scholarship behind that. Um, but generally, I try to get off, like scratch the surface a little bit, but not get down into the weeds. Yeah, right, right. You know, when we're talking about the particular situation you're talking about, I kind of like, you know, in a church, you know, study group or something. You know, like I, I wonder also, is, is this a case of New Testament versus Old Testament? Because as an Old Testament person, I love it. And I love dissecting Jeremiah and Hosea and, and figuring out like, okay, which source of Jeremiah is this from? Which source of, you know, I, I've taken semester long classes on Hosea where we just pulled apart the text and figure out, okay, this is H1, this is H2, this is H12, this is, you know, it, it sounds like we're, we're trying to figure out which flu vaccine to give people. Um, yep. And the same thing with, with the documentary hypothesis, which Wellhausen started, and, you know, it's very German to figure out, you know, the the, the, the grammar tree of the, of the Old Testament. And I love the Deuteronomistic history, and I love the idea of pulling that apart, as we've talked about with the Bible Bracket Challenge, which still today is our, our most popular uh, series of <laughs> podcasts. Um, it was a long series. It was a long series, but I mean, every, uh, I'm just saying. We got through it. Like, oh, we'll, we'll do a 20 minute show. That's going to get thousands of listens, and and it 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 didn't compare to those shows. But anyway, um, give us your money. Patreon.com/slash/thinkingreligion. <clears throat> Back to the show. Uh, anyway, I, I think that maybe there's something to be said there between how the Brevard Childs of the world read the New Testament. And, and kind of want this culmination idea compared to people who read the Old Testament and say, no, no, let's, let's, 
let's get our hands dirty in Second Kings and and go really deep into the soil. No pun, but there is a pun. Um, you know, and the idea that you know maybe glossing over and saying canon isn't as effective with the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible or the or the JPS or the Tanakh or however you want to pronounce it uh, compared to something like a Christian New Testament. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying there. Um, yeah. I think in, in large strokes, it, it, it is um, a difference. Um, yeah. I don't know. I like, I don't talk about, well, I mean, I talk about Canon, but usually to try to, when I talk about Canon, it's usually to try to tell people like the Canon isn't stable. <laughs> And here's why. And here's, you know, so yeah, I, I think like a canonical reading is, I don't know, not worth a whole lot. If you're trying to do anything now, halfway historical. Drop the bomb. You don't think it's worth a whole lot? Not if you're trying to do anything historical. I, I hate the canonical reading. So um, I have. No you can't say that. anything historical from a yeah, canonical perspective. It's, it's, mm. So, yeah, and, so, and I went to the heart so of it. And, and then when I got to, to seminary at Gardner Webb, it was all canonical. And it's like, no. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So, but I, I guess for me, the similarity would be, uh, I, I, I get my, my main point is I think a lot of these things are really useful to a point. And then I think we begin to think they're more useful than they are. And I don't think we often realize the limits of what we're doing. And this is a perfect time. I think I have to do it every six weeks or so to plug Constantine Fasol's book, brilliant book, the limits of history. Um, I, I think sometimes we just get a little, uh, too enamored of the work that we're doing and think that we can do more than we actually can. That's my main point. The thing that anyone does is to believe in what you're doing so passionately that what you're doing is, is really going to impact the world. Like, I don't I mean, or we could just like have some um, perspective about it. Clearly you don't watch the same YouTube, like, this is how you do marketing. See, marketing is all about your impact. And if you're not making the world a different place and you're not going to patreon.com slash thinking religion, then you're not helping the world. So get out there, lift your weights, do leg day and do this. Right. Yeah. I generally, generally try to stay away from those types of YouTube videos. <laughs> That's why you don't listen to podcasts. But if you, did, yep. you would, you would subscribe to Azer and Cage and, and listen to them on the uh, screen frog trees whatever network um you're in the newspaper speaking of old technology old technology um yeah i was uh this weekend i had a they, they, i had, a, they, I had an op-ed no i mean tell them the truth uh, about the molar i mean he he's you have a subpoena and your subpoena is below your other pina and molar has uh, asked you to turn over all your emails uh, between you and I about your subpoena, right? Yeah. And I said, there's no way I'm looking through 40,000 emails, so I'm just not even going to go, but I'll give them the password to my email. <laughs> and the two-factor authentication. Surprise! About my subpoena. Anyway, sorry, it's a funny word. Um, yes, please. Yeah. Yeah, so you're in the paper. You've made it yeah. big. You're, you're, I you're guess, so. Boy, I guess so. Well, <laughs> 
I know. Uh, well, I had a book review in the paper a couple weeks ago for a um, good friend of mine, Kelly Baker, who writes some really fantastic oh. books, if y'all haven't read her stuff. I, I reviewed her book, uh, Grace Period, which is a, um, a kind of a memoir, a collection of essays about um, her journey leaving, leaving academia, uh, which is something you know, near and dear to a lot of our hearts. Um, so it's just, just fantastic. So anyway, so yeah, so I, I wrote a book review for her in the paper and that was in the paper a few weeks ago. And then I had an opinion piece in the paper this weekend. And um, so now it's funny. People are like, so here's how I know, like um, I know when things run or like who actually gets the physical paper. Because it like my piece this weekend came out on Friday online, like midday or no, like four o'clock, like mid afternoon, whatever. And um, so I shared it and stuff, but then it print, it ran in the print version on Saturday and I didn't know it was, I didn't know if it was going to or not, but then I was at an event Saturday evening and you know, a lot of people come to me and say, Oh, you know, I liked your, I liked your piece in the paper this morning. It's like, that's how I know you get the, you get the actual hard copy paper. Cause I don't. So people have to bring me copies when my stuff runs in print because uh, I just read online. Um, but yeah, so I just had an opinion piece about um, something we're trying to do here in Leon County, which is close the gun show loophole. And and we'll link to it <laughs> in the show notes. Yeah, you um, me with my mute on. Is, is this- okay, okay, so you, you had a thing about gun control and you're in Tallahassee, Florida, which is kind of the hotbed of gun control at this moment. Nation. It is very much so. Very much so. Yeah. There's a lot going on at the state level um, in the legislature. We have a week left um, in session. I mean, so you, things are just absolutely insane. You, but, you don't have to yeah. spill the beans. I mean, you, you don't need to tell us what happens to King David, but like, give us a little little teaser. Why, why should we go read this? Um, why should you read it? Well, it's obviously, it's a good opinion. It's going to change your mind on gun control. No. Um, I mean, it's a very, it's a very localized thing and that's what, um, uh, kind of a group of us are really interested in, um, right now is advocating, uh, on a local level, particularly from a perspective of faith. So I started a little group called justice 850 because our area code here is 850 and we're advocating on a local level. And this is one of the issues we're advocating for, um, to close a gun show loophole. Uh, because right now, um, you can, you know, if you buy from a licensed dealer in Florida, they're required to do a background check. If you go to a gun show, um, you're not required to have a background check. So that's kind of problematic. Um, and so there's also these really, there's a lot of really complicated stuff about how, how gun laws work in Florida and how state laws have preempted local laws. Um, and like actually, the our county, Leon County, had to actually repeal. Um, most of the laws that they had on the books a few years ago because a state law was passed that said um, if any local municipality had um, laws you know restricting gun control or whatever um, on the books that the elected officials could themselves be personally held liable and could be themselves personally sued, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but they they had to. Um, they didn't have a choice. And so there's very little that local municipalities can do in Florida right now uh, on guns. But this is one of the things that that we can do. And so it's something that we're advocating for uh, in our county. And um, we've we've gotten a, you know, a lot of good traction so far. And it looks like something um, that we're that will be passed uh, toward the end of the month. And so basically, I was just you know urging our county commissioners that 
uh, this is the right move to make. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was kind of the, the gist of it, if you will. Yeah. And have you gotten any response from being in the paper? Um, I mean, yeah, I've gotten a lot of like, Hey, I like that. You know, you know, good piece you had. Uh, I've not gotten any negative, you know, I haven't gotten emails from, you know, people that I don't know telling me that, you know, I'm the devil cause I'm trying to take away their guns or anything like that. But some of my, some of my friends who have posted stuff, they're kind of getting the blowback on my behalf, you know, getting people commenting on their Facebook feeds and getting emails and, you know, how dare you try to, you know, take away the second amendment, which is obviously, it's not even close to what we're trying to do. Um, but so no, I haven't personally, so I've been kind of surprised. You know, I was ready for that. I know that this is something people have strong opinions about. Um, and, and so it's been interesting that I haven't really gotten any um, negative feedback because I mean, my name's my email's not in there, but my name is, and it's not that hard to uh, Google me. You're going to find me. Yeah. I mean, with all the stuff I've posted about you over the years, you're out there. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's kind of interesting. And, and we could talk about the, the social media side of, of this debate back and forth. Cause I, I've heard some of the things from, from people who say, well, I just put up this post that was kind of a, a repost of an article on my Facebook feed. And all of a sudden I was barraged with, you know, hundreds of anti, um, you know, gun control people, or, or I put something up about gun control being stupid and I was barraged by hundreds of, of you know people um, you know on the other side and it, it seems so arbitrary uh, when it happens but then all of a sudden it hits and it's like whoa I'm not ready for that um, you know and, and we have these great spaces to be able to talk and, and dialogue like on Twitter or Facebook but people are seemingly so resistant about doing that because of the, the blowback they're going to get about you know actually expressing an opinion and it, I, it feels in some ways that we're kind of going back to the book and the newspaper and these kind of moderated commons uh, areas as places where real opinion gets expressed, um, where, where you kind of have a a layer between you and kind of the vitriol or the bots or, you know, the trolls or, you know, whatever, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. I mean, because I'll say this, like, you know, um, obviously I you know, have done a lot of writing online and, you know, a lot of that put a lot of thought into, but of course, sometimes I would sit down in an afternoon and knock a piece out and post it. And, and I'm pretty good at being provocative, right? Um, I think over the years I've been pretty good at being provocative and definitely had, you know, uh, editors get some blowback uh, on my behalf, but you know, thankfully, you know, they had my back and that's good. But, um, uh, you know, it, it is, there are things we're passionate about and and this was a piece that i didn't want to just be provocative in and so i had you know i had multiple people looking at it and giving me feedback and you know pushing pushing against me um in a lot of cases so that i could try to put a piece out there that was you know well reasoned and you know well thought out um and that wasn't provocative for the sense of you know for the sake of being provocative but that um rather would hopefully you know, do what opinion pieces I think are designed to do or should be the best opinion pieces should be doing um, is, you know, making a strong case and actually trying to draw people, um, you know, make a case for, for your opinion and to draw people into that as opposed to here's my opinion and everybody who disagrees with me is an idiot and whatever. Right. Um, 
so you know so I'm, I'm happy with it i'm happy with how it turned out and we'll you know got a lot more work to do um on this issue and then other issues that that our group is focused on as well um but so, so what, uh, but yeah uh, so it was it was good i'm gonna have to start have to start a little collection of my of my clips <laughs> so as we wrap up here what is justice a like what what's the the main mission that you all are going for and, and where can people find out more if they want to know more? well i mean so um you can go to justice850.org um and you know big thanks to harrelson agency for doing our site work stop um and there was a whole conversation we were going to have about that that we moved fast but um but no, I mean, the, our, um, you know, kind of our uh, mission is we're just a, um, you know, a faith-based group of individuals committed to advocating for justice in our community. Uh, and we believe in advocating locally. There are a lot of groups that are out there uh, advocating at the national level and some at the state level. And I think that's great. Um, and, and, you know, there are a lot of, there are a number of uh, faith-based groups that are advocating at the national level. And I think those things are good. Um, where I think, right, the adage is all politics is local. Um, and I think justice is too. So um, where I think we have a gap is advocating on the local level. It's really easy to get people, you know, fired up for, you know, what our uh, U.S. senators and, and mem- you know, members of the House of Representatives are doing Um and and often, yeah, that that really does affect our lives. But you know, we often just kind of completely forget about what our city and county commissions are doing, what our mayors doing, what our you know local electeds are doing, um, and, and those have a much uh, larger impact on not just our lives but the lives of the people that are around us. Um, and so, you know, recognize that we're particularly well suited here in Tallahassee, so we can focus on city level issues, county level issues, and state level issues because you know we do have the state legislature in our backyard. Um, but we're just really focused on kind of um, what I like to say is advocate local, right? And um, so that's kind of that's kind of our mantra, and that's what we're really focused on. Um, so just hyper localized uh, advocacy, you know, for justice and um, doing it explicitly as people of faith. And you know, it's a it's an interfaith group too, so it's not just um, Christians, but. You know, people of faith coming together and saying, you know, these are we don't agree on a lot of on everything, but um, you know, we are coming together to advocate for justice issues so in our of the book. <laughs> well, not necessarily. Not everybody's with the Video. book, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Yeah, so what do you mean all by these faith? problematic terms? No. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, it's it's going great. We're getting a lot of traction, and um, yeah, we've kind of been thrown into it right now. With obviously everything that's happened post Parkland, uh, thrown into this particular issue when we had been planning for a while on this and working toward this, and and had you know we were doing some long term planning uh, on this particular issue, and timetable got changed as it did for a lot of people uh, on you know related issues, um, and that's great. So you know we're trying to do what we can uh, in the moment and use our resources. And, and I think we're, and if you want to contribute well, so to that, you can go to justice850.org and uh, we're going to hook up a contribution thing eventually. Yeah. We'll have a way that you can eventually we'll have a way that you can donate up there. So, um, but in the meantime, go there check us out. Um, we'll get up an email list as well. So you can, I think that would that be fascinating just to see what's going on locally, like from the Tallahassee level 
it, it, you know, it's like with the West Virginia teachers, you know, we, we see this stuff about them striking right. to get higher pay raises and, and the governor said 5% and the legislature said, no, no, 4%. And the, the teacher said, no, we're, we're going to stick around. And just to get, just to get a, like a, a feel on the ground about how things are going there rather than from MSNBC or CNN or Fox News would be really fascinating. So what I, I mean, if you're listening to the show, we, I mean, most of our listeners are in New York and California. Uh, if you listen to the show and you're interested in things like gun control and what's going on in Tallahassee, as you should be, because Florida is kind of a microcosm of the U.S. and we swing are- state and uh, not not swingers like that, but, you know, swing state. Um, you want to <laughs> – well, I mean, there, there are subreddits for that, I guess, but if you want to go that route. But what, what – in North Florida, I guess, smaller population. But what Thomas is offering you is is the insight of uh, local on the ground, which I think is really interesting and and fascinating. Hashtag drink, drink. So interesting. So anyway, so that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Uh, That's what we're really spending a lot of time on uh, lately. So... um, You've been spending a lot of time on this, I just have to say. Yeah, I think Sam got probably 50 emails from me today about... <laughs> I did this. not. To work. Yeah, yeah. I sent, him a, I sent him a few emails today and had, you know, meetings today about things. And, you know, things are going, you know, things are going well. We're going in the right direction. Um, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to build on the go, which is difficult, but, you know, we're going to do it. Um, and we're excited about, about where we're going. Uh, and encouraged. And if you want to contribute to uh, Whitley for Gov 2020, or, or is it 2018? Uh, it's 2018. I'm not running in 2018. 2022? 2022, and I'm probably not going to run in 2022 either. You're barely 35, but I think you could do it. I'm not 30. I will be 35 by then. I'm not yet. I got a lot of time. God, you suck. Got a lot of time ahead of me, but I'm not saying that I'm running for anything, so don't hear it as that but um right now uh, right now i'm uh, focused on i got a funny story to tell you about me being confused for the governor but that'll be off the air um but uh right now (laughs) in the biz we call that a tease um yeah but no we're, we're focused on um That's how it works. That's how that's how rumors get started. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're uh, we're excited. You know, focused on local issues and really excited about that. So, um, as always, you can find me and Sam uh, on Twitter. Sam's at Sam Harrelson. I'm at Thomas Whitley. You can always find this great podcast at Thinking.fm.